Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you all this morning, and happy Mother's Day to all our mothers and our grandmothers here today. Uh, It was through the influence of my mother and my grandmother that I first came to know Jesus. And so I just want to thank all you moms and grandmas, great-grandmas, for all you do and all you've done to lead us to faith in Christ and to help us build that life on Jesus. So, So, Father, I want to thank you that today is Mother's Day and we can remember our moms and what they meant to us and how they uh, showed us Christ and brought us into this world and sacrificially loved us and cared for us. And I just want to thank you for every mom here, every grandmother, great-grandmother here or watching online. I pray that you would give them a special blessing because the way they act is just like you. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to ask that you would just uh, shower your love upon them today, that they would know in the depths of our heart that they are loved by you first and foremost, and that we would somehow show them the love that they are they're due. So I pray that they would feel that. And I pray that as we go into the Gospel of John, that you would open our eyes and ears to see what it is you're saying to us, that this passage would just jump off the page at us and help us understand who you are and what you've done and who we can become in you so that impacts how we live. So please, Lord, take my words as Jeff prayed, and I pray these would be your words, that you would fill me and fill all of us with your spirit and with your word this morning, and that we would just walk out of here just more in love with Jesus because of all he has done for us. So thank you for this time. We give it to you and ask that you would speak now in your name. Amen. All right, so here we go. John 1, 14 through 18. Big picture. Here's where we're going to focus this morning. This is what it says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full. Jesus is full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right side, he has made him known. Talk about a powerful passage. So like we said here, when John writes the word... It's from the Greek word logos, which means that which gives order and meaning to life. And so John tells us that this word is a being. It's not just a something. It's a being. It's a who. And this word took on human flesh. Now think about how amazing that is, that the word took on flesh. Frank Turek, he's a guy that wrote that great book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, just released a new book this week called Hollywood Heroes. And he helps us understand this whole concept when he writes, researchers at the University of Hawaii use something all around them, sand. Sand to help us comprehend the vastness of the universe. They estimated that the number of stars in the universe is about equivalent to the number of grains of sand on all the beaches on earth, times 100,000. (laughs) So marinate on that for a minute. The universe has as many stars 
as grains of sand on 100,000 earths. What are the distances between those stars? In our galaxy, the average distance between stars is about eh, 30 trillion miles. <laughs> a space shuttle orbit speed of about 18,000 miles per hour, that's five miles a second, it would take nearly 200,000 years to travel between two stars in our galaxy. So, two, so imagine you've got the pile of sand in your hand, right? It takes 200,000 years to travel from sand grain to sand grain to sand grain to sand grain, and that's just a pile in your hands. Times all the sand on Earth, times 100,000 Earths. Are you getting a shrinking feeling this morning? Right? And that's just our galaxy. <laughs> there are billions with the B galaxies out there. That is so crazy. So the God who spoke all those things into existence, the God who is bigger than all of that, who spoke all of that into existence, took on flesh so he could dwell among us. Now, how in the world could he do that without a mother mm -hmm, being willing to be used of God? So once again, happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is spirit. So when God the Son, who is Jesus, decided to take on human flesh to come into this world, he didn't stop being what he was before. He just took on something he didn't have prior, which was human flesh, so he could walk among us. So real quick question. What does knowing that do for you? We have a God who went to such great lengths to be with us. What does that do to your heart this morning? Jesus took on human flesh. And I love where John goes next. Notice what he says. He says, Jesus dwelt on among us. The Greek word for dwelt there means pitched his tent or tabernacled. Oh, boy. He tabernacled among us. So this is dripping with connections to the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Think about the Old Testament history real quick. God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with them in the cool of the day, and it was life as it was meant to be. Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise to send someone who would save them, someone who would do battle with the serpent, who would be wounded but would ultimately crush the serpent's head. God then kicks off his rescue plan through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a ragtag bunch who, through whom he would bring this long-awaited serpent-crushing Messiah. So fast forward ahead to Moses. At the end of the Exodus, God, uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and he gets two pretty important things from God. The Ten Commandments and the blueprints for the tabernacle. So think about it. There's one chapter devoted to creation and 20, two zero chapters detailing the tabernacle. So again, what is that telling us? God always wanted to be in the center of us. He wants to dwell with us. As my friend says, he is a God who loves to be detained he wants to be with us. 
but question. How could a holy God dwell in the center of us as an unholy people? How could God do away with sin without doing away with us? Enter the tabernacle, the temple, and Jesus himself. So because the link between the tabernacle, temple, and Jesus is so interesting, I don't want to just gloss over it. I want us to mine the depths of this a little more. And I want to, as we do that, let's pray that God helps us understand what his dwelling with us actually looks like. So the first thing we notice about this tabernacle is this. Number one, the tabernacle was temporary. This thing was temporary. Israel would have to set it up and tear it down, set it up and tear it down over and over again. Whenever God's presence would lift, they would have to tear it down, follow him, and then set it back up wherever he led. Sometimes that would be a day, a week, a month, a year, but the people followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Sounds like a good way to live, right? To follow God's spirit wherever he goes. But they needed a more permanent solution, didn't they? So eventually, they build the temple. But Jesus would later say that he was the temple, and through trusting him, they would become living stones in the new temple he was building. So Jesus was the permanent solution to this dilemma. He wanted his glory to be in us. He wanted to dwell in us, but how could that be? So not only was the tabernacle mobile and temporary, and Jesus was the permanent solution to those things, number two, the tabernacle was a picture of what was needed so God could dwell with his people. The tabernacle was a picture of what was needed so God could dwell with his people. So God had them set up this tabernacle. It had three parts to it. The outer court of the Gentiles, the holy place, and then the most holy place or the holy of holies. The outer court contained the bronze altar and the laver. Or laver. I don't even know how to say that word, actually. The focus out there was on sacrifice, judgment, and cleansing. And some commentators say that that represented the law. How in the courts of heaven, we are guilty because of our sin, and sacrifice is needed to get us right with God. So pressing through the tabernacle, the next stop is the holy place. Only the priest could go in there. And it's interesting that there is no bronze in there, but a table containing 12 loaves of showbread, a golden lampstand that's always lit, and the altar of incense. And then behind that was what's called the Holy of Holies. This was a room that contained the Ark of the Covenant, and inside that Ark was the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. So the top of the ark, it's a big box, right? The top of the ark was called the mercy seat. So as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that God's presence was above the mercy seat. There was an angel here, angel here. God's presence was right here above the mercy seat. You'll see that God's presence dwelt between the cherubim in the holy of holies. So one day a year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and put blood 
on the mercy seat. So think about this. If God's presence was above the mercy seat and right below him in the ark was these commandments, think about this. Every time God just looked down, he would see the commandments and remember that his people broke them. And so notice where the blood was placed. Where was it placed? On the mercy seat. So with the blood there, on the mercy seat, God's presence, every time he'd be looking down, would literally be looking through the blood. Would he see the broken commandments? He'd be looking through the blood. This is incredible. Let this sink into the deepest part of your hearts. Instead of God just seeing the broken commandments, he would see them through the blood. Now I wonder, how does that compare to Jesus? God sees us through the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. If we've trusted him, he sees us through Jesus. Isn't that the best news ever? He sees us through Jesus. I've struggled with perfectionism as far back as I can remember. As the firstborn, growing up in a broken home, I often felt the responsibility of holding things together, of being in control. Come check out my office sometime. Everything has a spot. Everything's perfectly right-angled. I have these pictures above my desk, and if you pull the picture off the wall, you'll notice probably eight nail holes behind every picture because I wanted them just right, and I couldn't, which is a visible reminder every time I walk in my office about the gospel that I can't do it perfectly enough, right? When I got saved, that morphed into controlling my spiritual life. If it was good to read the Bible 15 minutes a day, really good to read it 30 to 45 minutes a day, and really, really, really good to read it more than an hour a day, I wanted to do that. Plus pray, plus share my faith, plus do Bible studies and accountability groups, and the list went on and on and on and on. And do you know what inevitably always happened? I couldn't do that perfectly. And that would drive me nuts. One thing God keeps reminding me is I am human. We are human. We have limitations. And he is my righteousness. He is our righteousness. He wraps that robe around us. He is our righteousness. So instead of reading and praying and witnessing to gain points with God, which subconsciously I was doing, to earn an acceptance I already have in him, I'm learning to look at those things as ways to connect with a real person who really knows me, loves me, and wants to work in my life to make me more like him. Very nuanced, but do you see the difference? I used to see those things as checklist items. He's helping me now to see their ways of connecting with him. We pray because we're talking and listening to him. We read his word We grow in our love and attachment with him. And from that place, we serve and give and do all the other things we do. So the blood on the mercy seat, man, I'm telling you, that was my saving grace. It still is. He did what we couldn't. The veil has been torn, and we have now have access to God through him. We can come boldly before his throne to receive the mercy and grace we so all desperately need. Anyone need mercy and grace here this morning? (laughs) Right? I do. 
and we can go to him every time we need it. So besides the tabernacle being temporary, and beside it being God's dwelling place where our sins were covered, now number three, the tabernacle was at the center of Israel's camp. Now check this out. God put the tree of life in the where of the garden. Center. The tabernacle and temple was in the center as well. Jesus sheds his blood so he can move into the center of our being, our hearts. I kind of see a pattern emerging there, right? So John is telling us that Jesus tabernacled among us. And through his gospel, he's going to show us this again and again. Now check this out. This is so fascinating. He's going to show us that Jesus is the one who washes us like the laver. He's the one who causes us, when we put our faith in him, to be born again through his sacrifice in John 1 through 5. He's going to show us that he is the true bread of life in John 6 through 8, the true light of the world in John 9 through 12, the true altar of incense in John 13 through 17, the veil that's torn from top to bottom, oh yeah, that's him, right? And the blood that was applied to heaven's mercy seat in John 18 and 19. And check this out. I didn't realize this till this Sunday, this past Sunday Easter, right? The two angels at the head and the foot of his tomb. <laughs> That's the holy of holies. And the veil has been torn through his flesh. He is the better holy of holies who through faith makes our heart the holy of holies now as the spirit moves into us. And oh yeah, by the way, that's the ending of the gospel of John. I'm telling you, this is going to be one fascinating book, right? So Jesus, the word made flesh, did all of this so he can tabernacle among us, so we can tabernacle again with him. Again, what does this do to your hearts, knowing we have a God like this? He did all of this to be with us, right? So the word Jesus becomes flesh. That's the incarnation and dwelt or tabernacled among us. Well, how does the verse continue? Take a look. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory here means the invisible attributes of God made visible. His graces, his attributes. Here's a a few examples of those qualities. God's holiness, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his mercy, patience, and sovereignty. Jesus shows us what those qualities look like perfectly. He is full of them. So when we see Jesus, we see what God is really like. So if we're made in the image of God, which we are, we are meant to do the same thing, to glorify God, to show others with our lives and our words what he's like. But we don't often do that. When we sin, Scripture tells us we're falling short of what? The glory of God, right? So here's a few examples of this. God is holy. Whenever we do anything that's unholy, we sin. God is omnipresent. Whenever we try to hide from God, we sin. God is merciful. Whenever we have an unforgiving spirit or seek revenge, that's called sin. God is patient. Whenever we're impatient, we sin. God is sovereign. Whenever we try to run our own life, we sin, right? Kind of getting the, the theme here. So putting it all together, Jesus came to show us what these attributes look like 
with skin on them. When the Bible says he never sinned, he never fell short of these qualities ever. You see, we do all the time in thought, word, and deed. We're born with a sin nature. We're going to act out of that nature and do things that are sinful against God and against others. We can't live this list perfectly, but Jesus did. He is grace and he is truth together perfectly. And as the special and unique son of the father, he is full of grace and truth. So if we are in need of grace and truth this morning, which all of us are, let's go to Jesus for those things. We will never not need his grace or his truth. So which one do you need this morning? Grace or truth? (laughs) Or both, right? We need both, and they're in him. Well, John continues in John 1, 15 through 17. Take a look at these really, really awesome verses. John 1, 15 through 17. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Riddle me this, Batman. (laughs) How does that one work? We'll talk about that. So from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about this. It seems like three key actions come out of these verses as we wind down for today. The first action that comes out of this is look to Jesus first. When John tells us that he was he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me, he's telling us that even though John the baptizer was born before Jesus, Jesus existed before him. John gets it right. We are to look to Jesus first. As again, a recovering perfectionist, I'm still tr- learning this. I'm learning to go to Jesus and ask him what he wants me to know about something instead of just figuring things out on my own. That's my MO. I love to figure things out. But who do I go to first? So if you're like me and you go to Jesus second, third, fourth, last, or never, John is inviting us to turn that around. Go to him first. Remember that passage about all the stars? And he's, he's the one who holds all that stuff in his hands. He's the one that's literally holding us together. This is an invitation for us to go to him first. So not only are we invited to go to him first, but now, number two, we're invited to receive his grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The word picture here reminds me of mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving Day. Heap them on, right? Anyone else like mashed potatoes here? Right? Heap them on. Keep on heaping, right? Well, check this out. God has heaped on us grace after grace on our plate. Lord, I need more grace. Here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. And that grace is meant to change us, right, from the inside out so we can actually walk with him and turn away from sin and walk with him in our lives. And we need that much grace. John goes on to say, why? Well, God gave us a perfect standard, his law. The only problem was it couldn't empower us to obey it. It held out the standard, it still does, and accurately diagnoses our spiritual conditions, right? God's word does that. It accurately diagnoses where we're at, but it couldn't fix us. 
God, through his love, wants to offer us grace, something we don't deserve, but because he's just, true and honest, he must give us what we deserve, which is punishment for breaking his word. So that leaves us in a predicament. How can he be gracious and not punish us at the same time being true and righteous? Put another way, as we said before, how can God do away with sin without doing away with us? Jesus. He is the go-between. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. And he is challenging us to not just organize our lives around whatever the strongest thing is that we want, but around him. If all that's not enough to fire us up, John ends this amazing prologue. And by the way, that was just the prologue, the preface to the book. Oh, there's so much here. Take a look how he ends it today. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I love that. No one has ever seen God but Jesus, the only God. Look at that. John calls him again and again and again. God the Son. God the Son. He is at the Father's side. He's made the Father known, and he continues to make the Father known to us. And that leads us to our third and final action, Get to know him more and more. Get to know him more and more. This is not just head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge, a living, breathing relationship where we get to know Jesus more and more. Now, of course, that includes the head, but also includes the heart and the hands. It's a full body, holistic thing, getting to know Jesus more and more. And he changes us as we do from the inside out. Take a look at John 17, 3. Great verse. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is the invitation to know God, to walk with God, to center our lives around God, and to really truly get to know him more and more. So by golly, we have covered so much ground this morning. And again, this is just the preface, the prologue. So I just want to slow down and ask, how is God speaking to us through these verses this morning? Take a second just to think about that. Reflect on what he's sharing with you today. Maybe he's calling us to marvel afresh at what he did to be with us through taking on human flesh. Maybe he's calling us to cherish the fact that God wants to dwell with us so we get to take these tangible steps to dwell with him too. Or maybe he's calling us to try one of those action steps of asking God to help us keep Jesus first, to receive his grace, and to know him more and more so Jesus can saturate our lives so people can see what he's like through us. Whatever it is, We have a God that longs to be close to us, to dwell with us, and who invites us to know him and make him known. And I told you that the incarnation really does change everything. It did, it does, and it forever will. So let's pray and wrap up. So Father, I want to thank you for, my gosh, this is just the prologue. This gospel is so packed with wonderful truth about who you are And Lord, it causes us 
to stop and say, wow, we need you in our lives. Lord, we can't manage lives on our own. As much as we want to, as much as we think we can, we can't. We need you. We're born into this world with a sin problem we can't fix. It's a problem that makes us think that it's okay for us to be our own gods, deciding for ourselves what's right and wrong. And Lord, it's called sin because we build our lives on stuff other than you. So I pray that today we would hear your still small voice crying out to us to turn from that and trust you. Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't done that yet, I pray that they would acknowledge right now before you that they have sinned against you, that they've done wrong things, that they've tried to be God of their own lives, and they'd recognize that it's not getting them very far because they can't. We're not very good gods. So Lord, I pray that instead of living in that, they would believe who you are and what you've done and that they would call on you to be their Lord and Savior because Jesus, you, di- you came, you lived, you died, you rose, and you call us to put our faith in what you've done. And you promise that when we do, you make us new people. So please, if there's anyone here who hasn't done that, Lord, please tug on their hearts. Let them talk with someone here or go deeper into this or at least check you out, Lord. Your invitation now is to come and see. So Lord, let them come and see who you are and be born again as a result. And for those of us here who have been born again, thank you, Lord, that you did that for us. Again, we didn't figure that out on our own. You drew us. We just received a gift. Thank you for that. Help us keep on growing in our salvation. Help us keep on seeing you and looking to you and trusting you in all things. Lord, I pray that we would honor our moms today, that we would love our families, that the time we have together this morning, our fellowship would be sweet, all because of who you are and what you've done. So Lord, we trust you that the incarnation really truly changed and can change everything. Please let it do that in us and then through us. In your name, amen. So uh, John, who's an elder here, came up to me after his service and said uh, to basically announce that there's tons of extra carnations left over, right? Incarnation of Christ, carnations, kind of a cool link. So uh, grab some, grab a whole handful of them on the way out. Give them to your mom, neighbors, friends, whoever you want. Go to the gas station, hand them out, whatever you got to do. There's tons of them, give them out. So our closing verse from this morning is actually a prayer from Ephesians 3. So let's uh, pray this prayer as we wrap up. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, so Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that all of us being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpassage knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So Father, on this amazing Mother's Day, help us to remember that, to be filled with you to overflowing, and then to share that with others around us. Thank you that you are so, so good, and thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.